Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor AJ Hines brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Very good morning, and um, thank you for praying with us every week for a church in our local community. And wider, it's really important that we do that. You know, they're, they're singing to Jesus this morning. They're teaching from the scriptures. Everyone's a little bit different, you know, for those who, who church hop a bit from time to time. Uh, they sing different songs. They, some have children in the service. Some like that. Some don't like that. Some have different style in terms of what they wear and dress. But, you know, God is glorified either way. And so through our brokenness. So thank you for doing that. I think it's really important that we come together in unity across our city. Uh, We're having a good chat the last couple of weeks that's running right into Easter. But just a little bit of family news before we do that. You know, last week out in Zulmia, we had a baptism and uh, Marcella was baptized. She's in the top left, bottom right corner. Uh, I didn't actually think that baptism pool was going to (laughs) work. So it was a bit of a risk for those that have been to the facility. Uh, I think there was someone baptized in 2019. I'm not sure before that uh, how long it's taken. But really sense that last week as our little community gathered in that space, we, we are taking ownership of that suburb um, together with other churches and churches of Christ. But I sense that that was a moment for them as they continue to grow in terms of what God wants them and us to be in that area um, of our city. And I just want to celebrate that, you know, it's important. Like every person who turns his life to Jesus, to his true self, and especially if it's such a public thing, you know, public declaration of your faith, it's worth celebrating. And for those who know Marcella, many of you don't, she is filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, She is fire (laughs) and we love her. And so I just wanted to share that with you today. Um, very good. We, we're having a conversation titled Good Soil, and really it's going to be a theme through the first half of this year as we continue to sense what God has next. It comes out of the parable out of Matthew 13 of the sower, where at the end it says that um, when good seed falls on good soil, there's an ec- exponential growth. There's an incredible fruit that comes from good soil. It doesn't actually describe what good soil looks like. And so that's the space that we're asking the question, Lord, show us, what is good soil? What is good soil in our lives? Many of us attend or have attended church for quite some time. We could quote scripture. We know the stories. We've, often if something's preached about, you're like, you have a whole library of sermons on that specific topic. Like today, we're talking about repentance. You would have heard sermons about repentance for quite some time. Maybe not recently. Uh, but you would have a whole file on each word, you know, love, repentance, the spirit. You have all these files in your head. But often what happens is we hear these things and we hear them over and over and maybe the Spirit moves in us. But the challenge is is that we don't often examine the soil on which it lands. And that I think is one of the challenges for us in our spiritual maturity and our walk is we don't experience the fruit that God has designed us for because the soil is not in good stead. And this month of February we're examining and opening the space uh, for us to examine the content the nourishment, what is down there? How does it look? 
not just uh, spiritually, but physically, emotionally, how does the content of your soil look? Is it conducive to growth? Um, John 12, 46 kicked us off in the first week as we framed some context, and it, it ends chapter 12 in this way. Jesus says, I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. Jesus is the light. The reality, though, is, is that many of our private lives are hidden. Uh, they're hidden from view. We can only really measure on fruit. We look at people and we experience the joy on their face or in their life. We tend to only measure them by what we can see. And there's so much that we can't see, but not just in other people, in ourselves. We don't often examine ourselves. Maybe in the beginning of the year when you write down all the things you want to achieve, but we trust that this is an opportunity for us as we enter the Lent season, as we enter this whole magnificent moment of Easter, which really is the center of our faith journey, is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, taking into account also that the incarnation is the revealing of God's identity, his, his will, his opinion in Christmas. But Easter is a big deal. It really is. We can't rush into Easter we can't just step into Easter. It's not just an a off weekend. Who's got some plans for Easter weekend? You don't have to put your hand up. <laughs> some holiday plan. It becomes this holiday for us instead of actually being central to our faith journey. And that is why we're taking the lead up to Easter really seriously this year. And, and we're going to partake in Lent. And so for our small groups, you have a little guide that we're following. It's going to be available online as well. It already is. Um, and Andrew will kick it off next week. But I really ask you to use the time. It's about seven weeks into Easter as a time of preparation. It's not, with, it's not all about withholding from yourself. It's about focus. It's about going to where Jesus went, into death and out into resurrection of new life. He is the light. And so it's not necessary for us. We've become used and accustomed to surface level living. We look good on the outside, but we're struggling on the inside. When everything's flash and beautiful out there, but in here, there's real pain. And we tend to avoid it, which is understandable because it's difficult, especially when we're on our own. But I think the context of community is a perfect environment for the grace of God to be showcased with other people. There are people in the room. It's important to know that. Because without others, you can't really know yourself. So what's down there? What is below the surface, either physically, emotionally, relationally, or spiritually? I would just dare to say that no one in this room <laughs> has arrived. No one in this room is perfect, is without fault, is without challenge, is without heartache, is without trauma in some way, shape, or form either in your childhood years or teenage years, there's pain in this place. And just as scary as it is to go down there, it's so liberating it is to do that and to know that you won't be destroyed, especially if you're in community. That actually, if you do the work of examining your life deeply, that you would realize that there's so much freedom there because God has entered that space. Jesus went down there. He filled the depths of hell with his presence. God is not scared of going down. And because he did it, he's created room for us to follow him, to carry our cross, 
to die to our false selves, to enter the space where we can be refined and changed and transformed. Who loves to be transformed? So this month, there's a call, as Simon shared so beautifully last week, to confession. Who loves a good old session of confession? Letting it all out. We realized and learned last week that it's not just about calling out the sin that is so obvious to us, and we are specialists at diagnosing the problem, but actually starting with the goodness of God, confessing that, starting with the fact that we are designed in that very image and likeness, confessing that, and that lays the foundation for us to actually do that, which is not that difficult, to call out the problem, which everyone knows, to be there. In some way, then, we follow that today by talking about repentance. And next week, we surrender into the journey that Jesus was as well for 40 days. Repentance. It's a difficult word. It's a hard word. It often evokes a lot of anguish in us because it means that there'll be change. Uh, who of us made mistakes when we were younger? Thanks for putting up all your hands. Sin, mistakes, uh, errors in judgment. That's what I would call my moments when I was younger. Simon spoke last week about a story about him throwing some rocks. Well, it seems to be quite a theme on the pulpit here that we all rock throwers. One day, and I've told this a long time ago, but three years ago, so uh, I was cleaning the garden with my grandmother. And, um, and she gave me the task of gathering all the rocks and putting it in a, in a little bucket. And so I did that successfully. Uh, below the garden, there was this big hill that went down, and there were big trees there, and unbeknownst to me, there was also a house down there. So when the time came to finish our job, she told me to throw the rocks away. Of course, there was a big bin next to the bucket, and that's what she implied, but I had selective hearing at the time, and so I decided to, to you know, <laughs> distribute them accordingly, and so I didn't throw them in the bin. I threw them down the hill at the trees. It's always close to the end. We had a nice big one and I threw it. And it hit a big window at the bottom. You almost hear it crashing down today as I reflect back on that moment, Simon. Those, it's like your heart's breaking, like when that. Didn't have any concept of cost or whatsoever. I just knew I was in trouble. Trouble was coming. So I did what, what any smart, intellectual, young six-year-old boy does, is I started running. I ran up the stairs, I closed my door, I locked it, and I got in under my bed. No one could find me. I escaped. A little bit after that, I heard some walking and a doorbell ringing. <laughs> and it was the neighbor who walked up to come and find the criminal that just broke a big new entrance into their home. And it was my moment. I heard the lady in very explicit terms tell my mum about what has just happened. I thought, how am I going to get out of this? I mean, I look guilty. <laughs> I'm hiding under my bed up in my room. The door is closed. <laughs> my grandmother told me all the evidence points to me. There's no CCTV cameras, but all the evidence. There's no one else. I can't blame the neighbor or their children, although they were pretty naughty at the time. I had to own it. I had to face up. And so I had to go down there. 
It's not easy to do, <laughs> but really there's no other alternative. What, could I just stay under my bed? I mean, I didn't have any food. I was well, you know, resourced internally to survive a little bit, um, but I had to face up. They weren't going to allow me to just stay up there, you know? So I got out under my bed, I unlocked the door, and it took me a couple of weeks to make the money for my mum to pay back. Maybe all of us have little memories like that. Moments, from big to small. Moments where we had to face up to the fact that we were living outside of our design. Kids are meant to throw balls, not rocks. C.S. Lewis speaks of repentance and he says, Repentance is not something God demands of you before he will take you back and which he could let you off if he chose to. It is simply a description of what going back is like. Going back. Do you like that? Just think of that phrase a little bit as we all return to it, as we continue. Fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel who must lay down his rocks, his arms. He's a rebel. There's something in us that likes to rebel. Sometimes it's a good rebellion when we do it for justice sake, but there's something in us that doesn't always enjoy submitting, surrendering to authority, and hence we try to hide. The word repentance in the Greek is the word metanoia, which is the word for metamorphosis, and we shared this a couple of weeks ago, but it is really the journey that a little fat worm takes into becoming its true self, a butterfly, and I've often thought about this, that I think the most significant component of that journey is life in the cocoon. It's when you create an environment that's conducive to you becoming your true Essence. You see, that was really never just a worm. It was always a butterfly, except it had to change into who it truly was. It couldn't just stay a worm. It had to change. In some ways, that's our life journey as we start. And from a very early age, we become extremely competitive, just like some of these guys on stage here today. We become extremely competitive. It's all about winning. It's all about accruing because we sense that if we could do that, we set ourselves apart, you know? If I could just win, if I can achieve, if I can do a few things right, then that defines me. It becomes my, my identity. That's why often just on the age of 17, 18, 19, we experience this incredible, um, incredible intensity around the purpose and the reason for our life because we exit school and we enter the big adult life. And, you know, if we don't know what to do, it's going to be the end. There's anxiety. All of us go through it. Maybe you're going through it at the moment. That what I do today is going to be so, like if I make a mistake now, if I pick the wrong subject, <laughs> you know, and my stepfather used to tell me I'm going to sweep streets because I don't do math. I'm like, no, I'll prove you wrong. They need math to sweep streets. <laughs> As if that's something bad in any way. He experiences anxiety that we make a mistake. And so up until about 30, we just develop this real desire to achieve because we believe that victory defines us. And then later we discover that actually you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. Because after that, you start losing. Lose friends, you lose people, you lose ability, you lose. And it's often in the losing that we fall upward. We grow towards who we truly are. And so in the Greek, it's the word metanoia. But I was interested to know 
what the Hebrew word for repentance means. And it's the word teshuva. You might have heard that when someone sneezes. Teshuva, anyway. No offense. <laughs> you know you can say anything and they just say no offense and you're fine. Okay. I'm not Jewish. I don't, I don't understand the language. Anyway. Teshuva. What does teshuva mean? It is repentance. It is to turn, but in a deeper way, it's to return, to go back. You see, often when we think about repentance, we just think that this is this deep, obviously, overall transformation that you go in a non-Christian and you're baptized and you repent and all these things and you exit and you're just this, you're just glowing, right? You're just this whole, I mean, you even have stronger legs and you're a bit more like upright and you look more handsome like this. We think that there's this massive shift and that everything in the past is just gone, but I don't agree. I think what actually happens when we repent is we don't just turn around, we return Back to who we've always meant to be. That which is within our design. That's who we truly are. You see, I don't think anything that we need sits outside of us. I believe it sits within us. It sits within us. The greatest transformation is to return to your true nature. Your true, and that, in fact, is a lifelong journey. Again, you don't just arrive. You continue you repent and you repent. You turn and you keep on turning. It's like a divine dance, a swivel. One evening service here, Rachel told the whole group of us to start turning, to do a sacred spin. There's something of that, of a dynamic movement into that which we truly are. We don't like that because we just like that first, you know, just press the button, everything's changed, everything's different. It's just not how it works. It's a journey, it's a process. Looking back at some of the Jewish scholars, in one in particular, Rabbi Abraham Isaac Cook uh, speaks about this teshuva. He says, he references Adam in the story of the fall. Adam's sin was that he was alienated, what, from his selfhood. For he followed the opinion of the serpent and lost himself. And he could not give a clear answer to the question where God said, where are you? As if God didn't know. Because God didn't just say, where are you geographically? My GPS isn't working. Let's tap that a little bit. See if the battery's dead. God knew where he was standing. But he knew that he'd lost the essence of himself. He became aware of his nakedness. Isn't that what we're doing when we're going down there? When we're exploring the health of our being? That we are again looking at ourselves in a way? And that's why we don't like doing it, because we don't like to be naked and afraid. If you do, like, we have to chat, because society has changed a little bit. And then he continues. On the process of ideal repentance, I love this, the primary role of teshuva, which is part of the annual holidays, it's a specific time uh, that they uh, emphasize fasting in a deeper way, um, is for the person to return to himself, to the root of his soul. I think in our hearts we know this. We know that turning isn't just simply disregarding ourselves, but it is discovering our true selves. I think deep within us, we know that it is there. It's just really difficult for us to do. Often you see it's not so hard to tell people how terrible they are. We're experts at that. 
The harder journey, the deeper work is to evoke the good that sits within you. Don't you, you just feel that rebellion in you, don't you? It's almost harder to accept the fact that there's good in me. Church has certainly capitalized of the, of the thinking, of the stinking thinking. We're good at that. We like giving each other a few whacks and just, you know, making sure we understand that we're making a mistake. <laughs> Mate, you don't need to tell anybody. When I hid under my bed, I knew that I had done something that was outside of my design. I caved into that moment. I rebelled. I knew that. When my parents asked me, so tell me, what did you do? It's not like I was like, I genuinely don't know what I did. Like, tell me, what did I do? I wasn't confused. <laughs> I didn't know what I did. I actually forgot. Like, when did this happen? <laughs> I knew exactly. The challenge was <laughs> that my parents thought it was very important to let me understand that for quite some time and to reinforce that and the issue is is that the sin is there it is and we do have to repent of it I'm not saying don't but there's a deeper reality that we need to return to how different would the world be if we could focus and bring out and evoke the goodness that sits within each person rather than continue to stamp in the negativity how good would and how different would it be if your discipline at home wasn't simply just pointing out the error within people's behavior, but pointing out the very DNA in God and saying, hey, this is not who you are. I believe in you. I believe more in you than what your behavior showcased to me today. And in essence, that's what God came to communicate to us in Jesus. He says, hey, you're not believing in yourself. Actually, you're not thinking highly enough of yourself. You don't think enough of yourself. We don't like that. You see, it's not about thinking enough of yourself more, but it's thinking more of yourself in value. People who perpetually like, step over the line or, or do crime and so forth, they are convinced that there's something in them that is broken and bad and irreconcilable. Inre no, they can't be fixed. That's what they say. But it can, and it has, in Jesus. This is my little thing that's been up there for a while. <laughs> Repentance is a turn or a turning towards our true selves in Christ, and a turn or a turning away from our false self in Adam. We understand the Adam and the Christ narrative, if you've been in church. From original sin to original blessing. Thank God the gospel does not start in chapter 3 of Genesis. But often we find ourselves there. Instead of going back, you know that word bless, when God made everything and he blessed, he knelt down in adoration. Don't know if I can get up. Pray for me before him. He knelt down in adoration, he says. That's what Barak means. To kneel down in adoration, to bless, Barak. That's God's view of us. We don't even kneel in front of our children or our spouses. Or What's our level of honor towards those who are created in the divine image of, of God himself? There's a brother who slept on the deck last night at this church. Do you know that? Probably not. He left before anyone could sort of see him. Remember two weeks ago I told you someone was walking on the deck when I was preaching and I had a bit of a, 
I was nervous to go out there. It was our brother. We're trying to find him. We wrote a little letter for him. Can we just be praying for him? Have you, have you slept, slept rough in your life? You know how it feels to hide, to make sure that you're there when it's dark and to make sure that you're out before the light rises in the morning? Are those people people that need to be avoided or do you just need to make a plan so that they don't, you know, they don't interrupt us when we arrive here at church? And we, or, or can we be hospitable towards our brother? It's not the first friend that have decided to seek shelter under this roof here. What does it look for us to kneel in adoration in front of God's children in that way, especially those who are different to us? And that's a, the rest of the year sermon when we get past this one. Very simple, before we take communion this morning, um, I believe there's these parts of us that we need to navigate. There's the false self, and we have beautiful content around that. It is often exclusive, cold. Driven on success, on winning. This is a key sin that I believe is the root cause of everything. It, f- it thrives on separatedness. The biggest lie we could ever believe is that we are separate from God. And it takes offense. You know you're operating from your false self when you're offended. You see, the true self can't be offended because it has context in God. The false self is necessary in the beginning part of our life because we tend to find our ego, who we think we are, in the midst of all this diversity. All these different people, they're all so different. And I want to stand out. Now, we have an extensive list that's much better than mine. I also believe that as we transition from this notion of false self, and believe me, I still find myself there often, is there's also a shadow. That which I cannot see. There's a shadow behind you, like, hey, where are you? I'm going to catch you. You need to find the shadow self, not by your own, but with other people. The progression is that you're not just exclusive, but you're selective. You're not just cold, but you're a little bit lukewarm. You're not just thrive on separatedness, but you become coercive. You don't just take offense, but you become selfish. It is in these spaces that we often operate where behavior is the key indicator. It's the key driver of our essence, but it's in the true self that we become inclusive, warm, large in a way. Where service becomes the goal. Union is the reality. And we're not just offended, but we offer ourselves. In fact, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it really takes us on the journey of discovering what we are truly capable of, not just in what we lack, but what the true essence of our being can do. It's indeed other-centered. And within that, we find ourselves. Robert Farrah Capon is one of my favorite authors. He writes, But all the while, there was one thing we most needed, even from the start, and certainly will need from here until the New Jerusalem, the ability to take our freedom seriously. And act on it. To love not in fear of mistakes, this is that lukewarm space, but in the knowledge that no mistake can hold a candle to the love that draws us home. My repentance accordingly is not so much for my failings, but for the two-bit attitude towards them by which I made them more sovereign than grace. Grace, the imperative to hear the music, not just listen For errors. 
makes all infirmities occasions for glory. Oh, come on. How good is that? I mean, I feel so much liberty in that because I have a few infirmities. I have a few errors. I struggle to be my true self fully. I miss the mark. And this is not the mark of the moral implications of what we should be doing. It's the mark of understanding how very good God is and that I am made to be like that. We believe in original blessing before the original missing of the original blessing. We turn and we keep on turning towards our true self. And because we do that, we turn away. You see, because we turn towards our true selves, we do turn away from our false selves. We turn away from harm and violence. It is not who we are. Often it is what we do, it is not who we are. It's not our identity. And this harm includes self-harm. More often than not, people who harm the other are experts at harming themselves. We don't wake up. We're not born into a desire to bring harm and violence. It is taught. I don't know what's happening in you. I'm not sure whether what I'm sharing this morning is falling in the way that I intended. I really do hope so. Because there is a massive difference between turning away from myself and turning back to my true self. There's a big difference. There's a big difference in focus. And I believe that there's a big difference in eventual fruit. I have not seen people chastise themselves into being the incarnate love of God, the love of God made flesh in their world. I've not seen that. But I have seen people who open to the love of God revealed in Christ, to the grace overflowing, ever flowing over their life. I've seen them experience liberty and freedom of their inner world and their inner demons and their inner suffering and those things that have been committed or omitted from their life. I've seen people discover freedom in that space and because of that, they have this capacity to love others deeper. I've seen that. For communion, and I want you to just have it in your hand, you don't have to open it. This morning the team can just come back on. For communion, today we'll just look a little bit at probably the best space piece of scripture in the New Testament that relates directly to repentance. And it's the whole chapter of Luke, chapter 15, where it speaks about these things, animals and people that are lost, the coin sheep the brother we know the story of course of um, the son that goes on his journey and he takes his inheritance and he moves away from his father and he moves away from we who he truly is we know the story well actually a lot of non-christians know the story 
really well. They could tell you the story. It's really well known, the story of the prodigal. Um, it's known for the fact that this journey of Christianity is not about the mistakes you make, but it's about the opportunity that there is for you to return, to go back. The father does not write him off. The father does not exclude him. The father does not kill him, which was required in the day. The father, in fact, waits for him and then he runs to him and then he kisses him on his lips before he could self-accuse again in front of everyone. And then he holds the party and we know that part of the story. But what gets him to that place is where I want to focus. What gets him to that place of awakening? What gets him to a place of even evoking the desire to return? And maybe that's where we can be this morning as we have communion, as we have this liberation meal. What it means to be free, you know, when we live in captivity to the reality of our history, when we live in captivity to a false self, to this conviction that we're not good enough, to this conviction that our behavior defines us, to this conviction that what other people have said over us really determines our ultimate destiny, to this conviction. This meal is a radical statement or practice that reinforces the fact that you are forgiven that you are accepted. In fact, you're welcomed. You're invited always to go back. Not just once, every single day you're invited to return. Not just to turn, to return. Because if you're just turning, you might go into a place that you've never been. But in fact, we are going back to where God made us, destined us, that we have divine DNA in our veins. Do you, do you know that this morning, that where you, as you sit, just put your hand on your arm or just on your leg or just on your heart. Just, can you just recognize that within you? There's a sacred space. That, you know, our journey always in Christianity has been this, and religion in general is this whole journey of cleansing, of sanctification, of holiness. Can I just tell you that without you changing a little bit of you, holiness sits here. It's a journey of becoming aware of it. That's the process of sanctification. But it sits here, it's within reach, it's not out there, it's here. You know how sacred you are? You know how special. I don't think we can overstate how much value you have. We're so scared of doing that. We're so scared of affirming people, you know, because they might get a big head or something. Hey, I want to tell you that life has a way of bringing you back to ground every single day. We don't have to do that for others. It's a, you're off the hook. You don't have to sort people out. And, and the bigger thing is you don't have to sort yourself out. You have to sort yourself in. <laughs> You have to think higher of yourself. Not nose in the air high. Like you, you need to think more of yourself. That's the returning. Not more often, more highly. And when our friend had spent everything, partied it away, threw away his inheritance which he thought was his inheritance, which he thought was what defined him, you know, how much he had. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And what did he do? He confessed and he began to be in want. It's like the first step for us. Go back to the scripture, please. And he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
And he would find himself filled with his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. He lost all his friends. And what happened? And when he came to himself. Now you can say, ah, you know, his head was clear. (laughs) Fine. Maybe that's also what happened. We could say, you know, he just, he just sort of figured it out. Maybe that's what happened. I believe that our eyes open to the true nature of our design when we recognize that we need God. Thanks, life. And when we come to ourselves, when we return, when we teshuva. And he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. We take that so flippantly. Oh, you know, he said, I'll just get up and go to my father. This was huge. That he would feel that he could do that. And that he made the statement to walk back, to return. Oh, how good would it be if we just recognize, let's pray this morning. Lord, we just recognize that we could even when we come to the end of ourselves, in fact, especially when we come to the end of ourselves and we recognize that we are in want, Lord, we need you. Is that you this morning? Oh, I celebrate that so much. Like if you're still wrestling and you still think you can do it on your own, we'll continue to pray for you and ourselves. Uh, But if you've come to the end of yourself this morning, how good is that? without anyone opening their eyes if, you, if that's you, have, do you, do you, do you are you in a place where you say Lord I need you Lord I want you Lord I can't do this without you Lord this is a but God moment Lord I celebrate that I, I thank you for even in the last year people in this room that have had diagnosis that is above belief that, that things were spoken over them Lord that the reality maybe of their health or their finances have been so overwhelming Father that those things in themselves are not good but Lord but, but they came to the end of themselves and they came and they said Lord I need you So Lord, we thank you for those things. It's hard to thank you. But we thank you for those things. We thank you, Lord, that when we turn the soil of our lives and we discover that which has always been there, some of the stuff that has just continued to hurt us and to self-harm and continue to break relationships and continue to, to continue to escalate just the condition of what's really there, Lord. We thank you that if we can have the confidence, we just turn the soil, that you are there. And, and because we turn the soil, we don't just see all the bad bits. Yes, they're there. We just, we know it. But we see that actually in the mix of all that, there's so much good. And we can return to ourselves. We only do that when we turn the soil. We can only return to our true selves when we face the reality of what our life is like. And Father, so we do that with confidence this morning. We return. And we get up. And we go to the Father. 
Are you ready to go to the Father this morning? Do you want to respond this morning? I just want to say this before we continue worship and take our communion. That maybe some of us think that that original value has been so messed up and so it, it's been out there so long and it's been ignored and that original dream and that original intent and that original value has just been, I can't, I almost don't want to even look at it because I'm, I think it must have gone off. Can I just tell you that it hasn't and that it won't and that God's plan has always been that that which was always there would be restored, would be restored. so much beauty in you. Can you just can you just see what God sees? Thank you, Father. So we recognize that we are in want. We come to ourselves every day. Lord, convince us, convict us of our righteousness. The true identity. And as we do that, we can identify and repent of the sin and repent of the behavior. That's fine. We have to. In fact, you will. Let's say you will. The more you focus on who you truly are, the more you will discover the incredible power that sits within you to have victory over the addictions that have formed your identity for so long. I just pray prophetically into this space. Father, I pray for people here that are stuck in cycles of behavior that is bringing so much harm to them and so much harm to their family and so much harm to those around them, Father, that I discover, Lord, that may in this Lent into Easter season, may there be great break Yes, we don't just get 100% right over time, but there must be a shift in this place, in these people. Can I say that? Can we be a little bit bold this morning just to say that there must be a shift? Lord, you determine the pace of that. You bring the healing. You're the healer, Lord. We can't do it. We'll surrender next week. But may we just say this, that there will be a change in the lives of people in our community here in Zulmia, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please have communion as a recognition of what Jesus has achieved on your behalf by His blood and His body. Take it in this morning because it has to be embodied in you and then we'll worship from there. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.